Well, praise the Lord. Aren't you happy and glad to be here today? I mean, whoo, have you ever thought about that? I was thinking there while they were singing that song about my mansion, you know, how big it's going to be and glorious and all that. And then I thought, what am I even going to need a house for? I'm going to be in the house of the Lord where I want to be. So I've decided I'm going to take the last row, whatever it is, and last little old cabin in the corner of glory land and uh, just praise the Lord. Amen. Every Christian, you know, to, to get knocked over by a shadow is a lot better than getting knocked over by death. Jesus conquered death on the cross, so we don't have to do that. We, all we got to do is put up with the shadow. It's a whole lot better getting run over by the shadow than it is by the real truck. Amen. Uh, Romans chapter 14, the only people ought to be happier here than born again saved Christians would be an Aggie this morning. Huh? <laughs> I, <laughs> I was preaching at Arabella this morning and <clears throat> one of the older men came up and he's usually in his right mind, but he's been known to not be. And uh, he said, I, I couldn't pay much attention. I was stayed up all night watching that ball game. And I said, man, that was sad, wasn't it? Almost. He said, almost nothing. We won that game, 74 to 72. I said, no. I, I, I just agreed with him and went on. Got outside, I hit my phone real quickly because it was 31 to 24 when I turned it off with less than 50 <laughs> seconds left. And uh, I thought, surely he was looking at a basketball game or something, but it wasn't. I guarantee you, man, what a, what a night, what a night. Romans chapter 14, I see Donnie sitting down here. If you've been following us on Facebook, he and I are going to looking for a song we can do together. I think I found one, Brother Donnie. I believe next Sunday we'll be doing that. Uh, it's going to be good. <laughs> uh, so don't miss. Don't miss. It's going to be good. Romans chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Would you stand, please, in honor of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant, all-sufficient word? The Bible says, Romans 14, 1, Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let him not that eateth despise him that eateth not. Let him that clap despise not the one that clappeth. Oh, no, that's not in there. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> let not him with eateth not judge him that eateth, for the God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holding up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord. He that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself. No man dies to himself. Whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, verse 9, Christ both died and rose and revived that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. But why do you judge thy brother? Or why do you set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, 
Every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Father, thank you this morning for just the pleasure and the joy. What a privilege to be in this house to worship together with these people. God, I pray today your Holy Spirit would fall fresh on this place. Without you, we can do nothing. Everything is dependent upon the power of your Holy Spirit here today. I pray you've used the music, the testimony, the offering, the preaching, everything to point to this invitation. When souls can be saved, people can come back to reality and have their hearts in tune with you. Would you do that today in our presence, dear Lord? We pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> Beginning in Romans 12, we started looking at the practical aspects of Paul's letter. The first 11 chapters dealt with uh, how we're to respond to God and what God has done for us. We ought to respond with gratitude. He has saved us. He's justified us. He's sanctifying us. And one day, he's coming back to glorify us. Then chapter 12, we geared, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a, a living sacrifice. He's talking about how we ought to serve one another and serve the Lord in these practical ways. And uh, then you get down to uh, chapter 13, talks about how we ought to love the brethren. And then when you get to chapter 14 and 15, it talks about how to get along with the brethren. You see, we would be most foolish to think that in a congregation this size that we're all going to agree on everything. It's not going to happen. It's, it's not going to happen. Uh, it's evident that reading this, the church at Rome was a mature body. Uh, it's not the weak saints here who are in the majority. The admonition is to the church as a whole, and the, and the church as a whole evidently is mature here as we look at Romans chapter 14. They're told to welcome the one who was weak. Now, good to see Bono and them back. Oh, goodness, there just have mercy. Uh, as we look at those, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you something here that you're not gonna like. You younger people will like it, but you old folk ain't gonna like it. We usually look at someone who's legalistic and saying, boy, they're, they're mature in the Lord. They're just saints of God. They're really good. When in reality, Paul says they're the weak. Whoa. Mm. See, we think if, if one of y'all says, you, if you don't have a buzz haircut, you can't be right with God. We think, boy, he must be a spiritual giant. No, he's weak. He's weak. On pr probably any church. Now, you know me, I'm going to just shoot straight with you. On any church, a pastor can get up and split a church anytime he wants to. He really can. My hardest responsibility is as a pastor to preach the whole counsel of God. I mean, I can come in here and tell you this morning that if you're drinking a beer, boy, you are out of the will of God and you're in a mess. I can come in here this morning and tell you, and there'll be people here that'll say, Amen. I can tell you this morning, if you got a tattoo, you're on your way to hell. And there'll be people who say, amen. I can tell you this morning that if you're listening to secular music or you're watching the MMA, the mixed martial arts, you're going to hell. And there'll be people who'll shout, amen. 
I can tell you this morning that if you own a luxury car and you've not sold it to sacrifice for the glory of God, you're wrong. About five years ago, I guess, or six, when we were building this building, I was in a pastor's meeting here and everybody was talking about all the traffic in, uh, in Longview. Boy, just heavy traffic and everything. And one of them said, yeah, <coughs> excuse me, I've got to find that mic. I don't have anything contagious. I've just got a throat problem. That's why I don't have a tie on. I got a steroid shot and, uh, and some B12s and all that good stuff. And they told me to go to bed, and I did. Uh, just not soon enough, I guess. But <clears throat> I feel much better. But anyway, we was at this pastor's meeting several years ago. And they were talking about how bad traffic was getting. The loop was under construction and all that. It was just a mess. And they said, in all this smog... And one of them said, that's Brother Hunt's problem, all that smog. He's the one brought all that on. And I said, what in the world are you talking about? I mean, you can accuse me of a lot of things, but I ain't brought smog into Longview. And the guy said, yes, you have. She, he said he's in a building program, and he's told his church to sell them rich cars and buy these old clunkers. So anytime you see a clunker running around Longview, you know they're a member of Woodland Hills Baptist Church. <laughs> I haven't done that, but I, I, that's not a bad option. If I came in here this morning and told you that if you celebrate Halloween, you're wrong. And there'd be people say, amen. There'd be others walk out. But see, what Paul is telling us here is, when he writes this here, these above practices all, I ain't talked on gambling or dancing, watching R-rated movies. I never watch an R-rated movie. If you watch CBS, ABC, NBC, or Fox between 7 and 10 on a weeknight, you watch an R-rated movie. I promise you. I promise you. Uh, wow. These practices are not discussed in Scripture, but yet Christians come to blows over these things. I mean, they're ready to knock somebody out. Or uh, How are we supposed to respond to all of this? Now, Paul is discussing opinions. It's a Greek word, uh, dialosimos, or disputable matters. He's not talking about uh, openly blatant sin. He's not talking about that. We have a responsibility to judge sin. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. But as we look at Paul's admonitions, his deal is to receive the weak Christian, the legalistic Christian, and we got to recognize at the outset that there's different forms of legalism. When Paul wrote to Galatians, he said, don't let those legalists come in here and pervert the ministry, the gospel. And when he wrote to Colossians, he said, don't let those legalists come into your church and pervert the gospel. But the problem was they were coming in from outside as legalism, and I get some of that every once in a while. But, but here's the deal in Rome. They weren't coming in from outside. They were already in the church. They're already Christians. So how are we supposed to deal with that? Uh, Paul says there's a principle here. And uh, he, he, there's four ways we can deal with legalism. People who got their opinions on their shoulders. Number one, and I've done this before, and I'm telling you it's wrong. I've repented of it. We can tell them, you go start your own church somewhere. But you haven't had any business being in this fellowship. That's wrong. According to what Romans 14 says, that's wrong. Now, what they're arguing over here is pork chops. They'd rather have a strangled chicken 
than a gutted hog. And I want to just tell you right now, it's a touchy subject for me. I love a good fried pork chop, my soul. But if it's a stumbling block to some of you, I'll give it up for 30 days. But after that 30 days, you just got to deal with God on your own. But they're saying, we'd rather have a strangled chicken. So let's just tell them if you're here today and you don't want eating pork and swine and all that, you go join this church over here, the first church of the strangled chicken, and y'all have church like you want to have. Hmm? Except that's not what God's will is. That's not what God's will is. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. Uh, <coughs> second option is to receive them, but keep them at arm's length. We'll let you come into the church. But y'all really a bunch of weirdos. We're going to give you your own Sunday school class. You don't want you to fellowship. Don't, uh, ooh, don't let one of them teach our children. We'll keep you at arm's length. It's, it's not right. We'll talk about that later. The third option is to receive the legalists, but to go right to work destroying what he believes. That's called using the pulpit as a whipping stone. Wish I hadn't ever done that, but I'll tell you right now, it is. That's a, mm. There's a fourth option, and that's what Paul suggests we do. To receive them, but not hassle the weak over their conviction. Don't get in a dispute with them, with the church over these things. Uh, the weak in faith operate with a strong conscience themselves, and we'll talk about that more. How many of you here this morning can verify, I remember very well, uh, the first day we were allowed to bring dominoes into the fellowship hall at the church. You could bring dominoes, but listen, don't you bring no cards up here. Cards are of the devil. And then in college, I learned this game called Rook. And I just love cards. And I thought, what's the difference between a card and a domino? Well, it's what you make out of it. I looked the scripture, there's nowhere in here that says, don't you play dominoes in 42. <laughs> I can't even find anywhere. Well, anyway, I better hush, okay? You, you, you see, what, what, what Paul is trying to get us to understand here is that all of us are part of the church. We're all part of the church. You may have different opinions, you may have different ideas, but, but we're all part of the church. Now, how do we respond to that? <clears throat> number one the first reason that we ought not to judge and despise people is because God has welcomed our brother now look at verse 3 let him that eateth despise him that eateth not and let not him let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth now look at those last part for God hath Receive him. So let me just ask you something. As a church, church has always been right on the borderline of wanting to make rules and regulations and add things on to salvation and all of that. If God has said, I accept my brother, who are we to sit up in here and tell him, no, you got to do this, this, this before we'll accept you? I had a family leave our church and, uh, and I said, yeah, look, if God leads you somewhere else, go somewhere else. I'm, I'm serious as a heart attack. 
I, I've, I've preached my whole life, 47 years, focusing on, on the kingdom of God. God is bigger than Woodland Hills Baptist Church. Some of you don't want to believe that, but I'm telling you it's true. You're going to get to heaven and find people up there you didn't think would ever get there. And they're going to have a shocked look on their face when they see you up there. <laughs> Who are we? This family's going to leave the church. I, I said, okay. I met with them, prayed with them, said, you go, man, praise the Lord. They called me about three weeks later. They said, we, we went down to join this other church. And they're going to make us take eight weeks of study courses. And, and they're going to do all of this. And, man, we didn't have none of that at Woodland Hills. Why don't you have that at Woodland Hills? I said, because it's not biblical. Can you imagine the riot it would have been on the day of Pentecost with 3,000 saved and baptized? Oh, no, you can't be baptized yet. Now you've got to attend eight-week study course before you can come into the family of God. No, come on, guys. Let me just tell you, when the Holy Ghost of God gets a hold of you and saves you, nobody's going to have to beg you to come to church. Nobody's going to have to beg you to open your Bible and say, I want to read the Word of God. You'll want to do it. You'll want to come worship God. And if you don't want to come worship God, that's a good sign. You need to, I don't know, get right with God or get saved. One. So we, we can't despise because God has welcomed our brothers. Our only rule here is that if you believe in your heart and confess with your lips that Jesus is raised from the dead, he's Lord, you shall be saved. That's it. You say, well... Mm. second thing gotta hurry second reason we're not to despise or to judge our brother is because our brother is God's servant (laughs) look at verse 4 it's right here in the word who art thou that judges another man's servant to his own master he standeth or falleth yea he shall be holding up for God is able to make him stand we ought not to be judging people and saying oh no you're not good enough for us. You, you don't do this. We, we, we can't pass judgment on another man's servant. He don't work for us. Let me tell you a little secret this morning. You don't work for Woodland Hills. You don't work for the preacher. You work for Jesus Christ. That's who your master is. So who am I to stand here and say, well, you got to do my set of rules because the master, he doesn't know as much as we know. Now, we've been here a long time. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Bill Gothard put out many years ago, P-B-P-G-I-N-F-W-M-Y. So, whoa, people, well, it just simply means this. Please be patient. God is not finished with me yet. And I think that could probably apply to every one of us in this building today. He's not through with us yet. We're not what we ought to be, but thank God we're not what we used to be. I mean, there ought to be some improvement. It's the master that makes that person stand or fall. So who are we to pass judgment or despise? Thirdly, Paul said there's a reason we're not to despise or to judge is that both the weak and the strong can be right if their motivation is right. Wow, imagine that. Oh, no, everybody can't be right. Somebody's got to be wrong. No, according to Paul, if their motivation is right, if they're doing it for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, they can eat meat for the glory of God. 
But if you're going to be a vegan and say, no, I don't want to do that, and, and I would throw this in here. I'm not showing disrespect. I appreciate people who are strong enough to be a vegan. I could eat vegetables. I just couldn't be a vegan. Somebody needs to tell the vegans how to cook vegetables. You've got to have some hog lard in there and some salted pork and stuff like that if you're going to eat vegetables. That's the way you do vegetables. You've got to season them. But, but, but for you who don't do any of that, praise God for that. As long as you're doing it for the glory of God. But what he's saying is, don't you be a vegan and say, well, you people eating pork chop, not right. And don't you be one who eats pork and say, you vegans don't know what you're missing. Ah, as long as they're doing it for the glory of God. And he talks about the day of the week. For 4,000 years, this whole universe rested on the Sabbath. That was the Lord's day of rest. It comes because he created the heavens and the earth, uh, or the earth and on all around it in six days. And on the seventh day, he rested. Now, something, but it had to be like an A&M win in seven overtime. Something big had to happen. What would it be that would happen that would suddenly decide that we're not going to worship anymore on Sabbath, we're going to do it on Sunday? Oh, I, I remember it's that thing called the resurrection. See, Jesus is not dead. He's alive. And he came back to life on the first day of the week. And so, therefore, Christians gathered together to worship a living God on the first day of the week. Now, if you still want to worship on Sabbath, you do that. It won't hurt you. Some of you need to worship all week long. You do that. It's not going to hurt you. He said, don't let the day, whether you keep it on Saturday or Sunday. <clears throat> and this is where he expels out even more. Some of you in this church like to clap. Praise the Lord. It's hard. I want to tell you something. This is with my hand up. It is difficult to get a Baptist church to know how to clap in rhythm. I, I won't tell you. I've been in some Baptist churches where I said, God, let them just shut up. Let them just, you know, they can't do it. They can't do it. But you're a pretty good clapping church. But those of you who clap, don't look down on those who don't clap because they're here for the glory of God. And if you don't want to clap, don't clap. If you do want to clap, clap. If you want to shout, shout. You want to say amen, say amen. If you don't, don't. But as long as you're doing it for the glory of God, you can be right before your master in what you're doing. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. Ray Stedman uh, tells this story of a young college girl. Uh, she wasn't a college girl. She was a light nightclub singer and uh, just a new young Christian. And she was asked to sing in church. I never will forget Carlos McLeod back in the <clears throat> 70s, uh, it was the 80s, uh, invited, he won a lady to the Lord out in the middle of Tarrant County uh, Square there. And uh, we were having an evangelism conference. Her name was Iris Blue. She was a nightclub. Any of y'all ever seen Iris? She's been here a couple of times before. And, and he led her to the Lord. Well, you, Carlos just crazy as a road lizard. He just loved God and just... He brought old Iris right up there to the stage and said, she sang in nightclub, and no, all she's going to sing right now for Jesus. And she started singing, didn't have no music or anything. 
Once I was lost in the rags of my life. And she said, I'm a child of the king. Praise God, praise God, I'm a child of the king. Whole place come unglued there. But anyway, this young nightclub singer had gotten saved and they asked her to sing in church and she wanted to do her very best for the Lord so she dressed up the only way she knew how to dress up. How many of you will admit this morning when people come in out of sin, they may not dress like we dress. They may not look like we dress and they may not talk like we talk. But they're doing for the glory of God. You've got to keep that in mind now. We're all in this thing together. And she wanted to do her very best, so she dressed up and she sang a song she thought was expressive of her faith. The style of the singing she'd been taught to sing was kind of like that honky-tonk like I play. It's kind of torchy style is what you call it in old English. And uh, whoo, it just reflected that's what she'd sang all her life. This dear saint of God came up, said, how can you sing a song like that and still claim to be a Christian? God would never be happy with a Christian dressed the way you are, singing the kind that you're singing today. She was taken aback. She stood there a moment, broke in tears, and ran. Why did that happen? Because somebody, quote, spiritual, is weak. They don't understand that you can accept the lyrics of a song that glorify and honor the Lord and the beat might not do what you think it ought to do. And I can go back in history. We don't have time this morning. But I can go back in history. Uh, They fought Amazing Grace. I mean, that's nothing but a honky-tonk song. They fought that tooth and toenail. Hey, I remember... (laughs) How old I am when Dr. Charles Stanley went to First Baptist Church, Atlanta. Now, there's not a person in this place probably that doesn't love Dr. Charles Stanley. Tremendous teacher, loved God, radio, television program for millions of people. But the first three or four months he was there, people made signs out of cardboard billboards and said, we hate Charles Stanley. Fire Charles Stanley. Get rid of Charles Stanley. All over church, you'd see those signs like that. And Charles Stanley got up and said, God called me to be here. Fire me if you want to. But next Sunday, I'll be on the front doorsteps out here preaching the same gospel. You say, "Who who would do that? Somebody that's a weak Christian. I'm not saying they're lost. I'm just saying they just have this idea, this is my way or the highway. (laughs) Well... Let me give you the last thing, almost through. Paul reminds us that we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, it's not the white throne. I know some of y'all wanting to go to the white throne. You're nosy and you don't want to miss anything. But I want to tell you, you don't want to be at the white throne. The white throne is when those are cast aside into outer darkness in a place called hell. So if you miss that one, it's all right. Don't worry about what happened there. Okay? What he's talking about here is the Bema Seat of Christ. He's talking about the the judgment that Christians are going to be brought into. Uh, In Corinth, the judgment seat of Christ there. Uh, uh, Paul remembers in Acts when he went through the Bema or the judgment seat there with Caesar and different and another one too. 
Uh, and this is what this is going to be here. Now, now listen, don't, don't get bent out of shape over this because it's really going to be a good time when you've given your time and you've given your talents and you've given your treasures, you've, your motives have been pure, your actions are pure, you're, you're setting yourself up to receive the rewards. So you're thinking, well, you know, I'm going to get all those crowns and all those rewards, so I'm going to walk around like this. And some of y'all thinking you're going to have so many crowns, you're going to have to pull a wagon behind you to have all them in there too. But according to 1 Corinthians 3 and 1 Corinthians 5, we're going to take all those crowns and throw them at the feet of Jesus. We're going to give them back to the one who died for us. We're going to give them back to the one that we've been serving and been praising and been loving since the day he picked us up out of the miry clay and saved us. A lot of folk I see today living for things that don't matter. As a child of God, when you sow a seed, that's going to come back. It matters. As a child of God, when you're praying in the middle of the night and nobody knows anything about it, that's all right. God got a copy of it. You're teaching Sunday school and you put your all into it there and you're studying the Word of God. It seems like nobody cares. Oh, yeah, they care. God's got a list. When you're witnessing, when you give a cup of cold water, when you give somebody $5 for a meal and in the back of your mind you're thinking he's going to go blow it on whiskey or whatever, but, but you give it to him and that $5, that guy takes that $5 who's starving to death and goes and buy himself a meal and able to live another day, you're going to get a crown for that. You're going to get a reward for that. It's a positive experience. The, the, the gold, the silver, the precious stones. And then, of course, it's going to be the wood, hay, and stubble, the things we've done, but we did them not for the glory of God. They're all going to burn up. Somebody asked Dr. W.A. Criswell, why don't we just, when we die, why don't we get our crowns right then? And Criswell said this. He said, your faith will continue to bear fruit after your physical death. You can't get your rewards when you first get to heaven. We gotta wait till this whole thing's over with. I've used this illustration before, but I'll do it again because it's so relevant right here. Sunday school teacher owned a shoe shop, shoe store. He had a young man working in the shoe store, stocking shelves. God convicted him to talk with that young man he went back in the back room, put his hand on that young man. The young man would later say that he thought the hand of God was on him. And he sat there and he led that young man to the Lord. His name was Dwight L. Moody. Dwight L. Moody began to preach and build Sunday schools. And his emphasis especially was on children, but he lost people. A guy by the name of F.B. Meyer was saved under him there. And then a great pastor and theologian, J. Wilbur Chapman, the evangelist, was saved. And, and then <laughs> one of the biggest drunks and losers in this entire country named Billy Sunday was saved. Over a million people in America came to know Jesus through the ministry of Billy Sunday. Crazy as a road lizard, but I tell you, God's hand was on him. Man, he would... He would come in a back door and run as fast as he could and just slide right here in the middle of church. You talk about getting their attention. One day he thought he'd lost a crowd. He just gets over and picks up a chair and just 
bam, on the pulpit. God used him in a great way. And then they went to Charlotte, North Carolina. Billy Sunday went there and preached, and they said, look, that was a great crusade. we got to have another one. So Mordecai Ham under that had been saved under Billy Sunday, and so he comes and he preaches the crusade in Charlotte again, and one night a little boy knelt at the altar named Billy Graham, gave his heart and life to Jesus. Now I want to tell you, every one of us in this room know Billy Graham, and those of us who know anything about Christianity, Mordecai Ham, and Billy Sunday, J. Wilbur Chapman, F.B. Meyer, Dwight L. Moody. <laughs> Man, those are men of God. But it all happened because of a guy named Edward Kimball who owned a shoe store that put his hand on a young man and led him to the Lord. Amen. Wow. Can you imagine what the <laughs> judgment seat of Christ is going to be like when old Edward Kimball stands there. I mean, he's just been a shoe store guy. He's never been anything. Nobody even knows who he is. And suddenly people are going to come out of the woodwork. I, you see, serving God kind of like Amway. You, you start up here at the top and you get all the benefits. Everything under you, you get credit for. If you led somebody to the Lord and they led somebody to the Lord, you got credit for the one they led to the Lord too. It just keeps circulating. So this is going to be a glorious day on the judgment seat of Christ. <laughs> We're not talking about salvation now. Our salvation is based upon Jesus. It's secure. Our foundation is in him. It's secure. If we built our life on things that don't matter, wood, hay, and stubble, and straw, it's going to be purged and passed away. But... What Paul is saying here is it's impossible for us to judge the motivation of somebody else. Well, they don't love the Lord as much as I do because, you know, no, you don't know that. That's way above your pay scale. You don't know that. Little boy, poor little boy, was in an ice cream line, kid after my own heart, he wanted an ice cream sundae. He said, ma'am, how much is the ice cream sundae? And she was trying to rush the little boy up. She knew he had on ragged clothes and was poor. And here all these wealthy people were behind him. And she was trying to get rid of him so she could wait on them. And she said, 50 cents. Just kind of abrupt. He was counting through his chains there in his hand. And he said, ma'am, how much is just a dish of ice cream? She said, 35 cents. And he's counting again. And he said, I'll have a dish. Quickly, she got the dish and kind of tossed it at him there, took his money and went on. One day, everybody kind of cleaned out, and she was cleaning up the tables. She went over to that little boy where he was sitting, and there was two nickels and five pennies. He could have had the Sunday, but he chose to get the ice cream because he wanted to give the lady the tip. She sat down there and cried. Said, my goodness, my goodness, how we prejudge someone. We've got it already locked up, and yet we didn't know what we were talking about. We had no idea what we were talking about. There's a lot of gray areas today. 
man, music, you don't like my music, something wrong with you, you can't do this music, furniture, we don't like pews, we like chairs, no, we don't like chairs, we like pews, eating, we love pork, no, you can't have pork, I don't know that you've ever had a good butt pork roast with <laughs> gravy in there to not like it, but anyway, you know, there's some don't like it, and colors, you know, we, we, we laugh about these things, but folk, there are churches that are splitting over the color of a carpet. But can I tell you something this morning? We really do agree on more than we disagree on. You see, I have no doubt that this book, this Bible, is the God-breathed, inspired, inerrant Word of God that it will never return void. I have no doubt that these are the Ten Commandments, not the Ten Suggestions. I have no doubt. I know you do too. You have no doubt. I have no doubt that Jesus is the divine Son of God. He was born of a virgin in Bethlehem, and he walked on the shores of the Sea of Galilee with his sandals on there, and he lived a sinless life, and he was crucified and died. I have no doubt. I have no doubt Jesus was buried in that tomb and on the third day he arose and he ascended into heaven and today he's sitting at the right hand of the Father interceding for each one of us. I have no doubt. I have no doubt that the believers that are walking in here are empowered and indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God that he has justified us, saved us, and sanctifying us and one day will come back and glorify us. I have no doubt. I have no doubt there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And I want to tell you, as a your pastor, I have no doubt that the purpose of this church is to worship a holy God and to win souls for Jesus Christ. That's our task. We're, we're not here to bicker over junk. We're not here to nitpick over junk. We're here to tell a lost and dying world. And could I tell you today, it's darker and it's blacker here than it's ever been before since I've been in America. There are more people lost now than there's ever been before in the history of this country. And I thank God for missions and I thank God for the things that are happening all over this world. It's like a revival's happening everywhere else except here in America. I don't know what the, well, I do. I know what the secret is. We're just not willing to do it. We're not willing to do it. You say, well, preacher, if we know what the secret is, well, the secret is a prayer. You try to drum up a prayer meeting, we'll get eight or ten max. Out of 850 people, we'll get eight or ten. You try to drum up a soul-winning crowd, and we'll get six, eight, and yet we'll sit here this morning and tell everybody that our purpose is to win people to Jesus. Well, folk, maybe we need to have an old-fashioned altar call and a revival and get back to winning people to Jesus. Because I want to tell you, what I observed today is there are many more people being saved today when they're out in your workplace, in your schools, in your homes, in neighborhoods, in grocery stores than there are in corporate worship services. Might not have always been that way, crusades and all, but people don't want to do those things anymore. We still, you know, love to do them here and going to do them here. But if we'll begin to pray and ask God to use us, I believe 
He'll use this church to bring people who are hurting together, people hurting all around us. And we don't need to sit here in our pious attitude and say, well, he don't look like I look. He don't sing like I sing. He don't, uh, you know, I, I just can't do it. Just can't do it. Well, if you get before the Lord, you can do it. Because he's already welcomed those people. Now, what are we going to do? First step is that you come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Thou shalt be saved. Father, would you just speak in your voice today? It might be a still, small voice. It might be a touch on the shoulder as Edward Kimball did to Dwight L. Moody. It might be that somebody just needs to get a good shaking up here this morning. But, oh God, would you bring us back to the place where we accepted one another as brothers and we continue to follow your will and, and to live for the glory of God and to do and to follow you as our leader and our master, but not to judge others, but to follow you. Lord, would you let this invitation be your invitation? I pray no one's moving around. I pray, Lord, that our hearts and our, our desires, our emotions would be focused upon what you want to do for me right now. Hey, it doesn't matter what you're doing for the neighbor or anybody else. How about me right now? Lord, what do you want me to do? And we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you